0: The conversations featured in this episode have been recorded over the course of a year. Some of the details mentioned may have changed since the time of the recording. You're listening to On the Contrary by IDR, a show featuring unlikely conversations on topics that affect our future. Hear differing perspectives from leaders and experts as they help us make sense of the most pressing issues of our time. I'm your host, Shreya Dekari. What do we want? Climate justice.
1: When do we want it? Now. What do we want? Planet justice. When do we
0: want it? Now. What do we want? When do we want it? Now. Global warming. These protest chants were from a climate march around Mumbai's Dadar area. This march was part of a global climate strike spearheaded by Fridays for Future, a youth-led movement started by climate activist Greta Thunberg. As a part of the strike, people from over 100 countries took to the streets to raise awareness about the crisis. There has been a surge of climate protests over the past couple of years, from blocking roads and airport runways and targeting artworks to filing lawsuits against governments for their failure to curb carbon emissions. People are rising up and they are demanding change, demanding action, and demanding their right to a safe planet. But as climate protests gain momentum, it's important to question if they're really benefiting the cause and whether they're influencing how climate action shapes up in policy rooms. Answering these questions and more in this episode of On the Contrary by IDR are three experts Stalin Dayanand, Disha Ravi, and Mridala Vijay Raghavan, who have been playing an active role in India's fight against climate change. Here's Mridala, an environmental lawyer, on how success in any environmental movement is never black and white. It's so rare and so hard to find success,
1: even in the courtroom. And in those rare instances that you do, to see court orders translate to action on the ground is incredibly hard. But I'd like to draw your attention to an example here. The Kalishwaram Lift Irrigation Scheme was a large project planned in the state of Telangana. And what this project endeavoured to do was to lift 1,000 TMC of water from the river Godavari. So the Dam on the Godavari, lift this water, pump it up to the uplands of the state. And use this water for irrigation. So it involved complex construction in several districts across the state. It was budgeted at about 1.25 lakh crores. I figure I can't quite wrap my head around just yet. They had begun to execute this project without statutorily mandated clearances. These include the environmental clearance, the forest clearance, and wildlife clearances, because this project would also submerge a wildlife sanctuary. This project also involved the displacement of about 34,000 farmers and there were parallel proceedings going on at the High Court at Hyderabad about the state circumventing the provisions of the land acquisition act. The case that I was involved in was an application before the National Green Tribunal and our case was fairly simple. It basically said that you cannot start construction of such a large project without obtaining these clearances and that's illegal. My client his name is Muhammad Hayatuddin. I have huge respect for him. He uh, was a school teacher at a village in Siddhibit. He's a maths teacher there. And he rallied his village to say that they're taking away our cotton fields and they're taking down standing cotton crops. They're bringing their earth movers into the village without finishing the land acquisition process. His school was burnt down when he began to protest. And these were some of the most powerful visuals that still stay in my mind of, you know, the residents of this village would sit out peacefully in the middle of the road and say that your earth movers cannot come into our village because project is being executed illegally and we've not been consulted. So how are you just taking away our lands? Now, over time, one would typically expect that with protests, they lose steam over time. But these guys just were relentless. They were at it for years. And I think what also stood out about the way in which they held their own was that they tried to engage in fact-based communication with authorities to say, you don't have these clearances that are required by law. You've not followed procedure and therefore you cannot displace us. And they were peaceful protesters. There was not one instance of violence incited by the protesters. There were large human rights violations. You know, their children would be detained at police stations through the day, which is illegal. So, if they, you know, detain the kids at a police station, the parents cannot be sitting on the road and protesting. They will have to go try to retrieve their kids, and that would create a window of time when the earth movers would get into the village. So, it was a very, very challenging time, I think, and uh, it resulted in a stay on the construction of the project, about eight months into filing this case, and we were over the moon about this development. But the next day, my client calls me to say, Ki, ari, construction to ruka nahi hai. we still have earth movers coming into the village and the residents of the village are still protesting and they don't give a damn about the stay. And we've provided a copy of the stay order to the collector, but it's made no difference whatsoever. And so how these things translate onto the ground is a very gray area. And I think that it takes resilience and commitment to the cause and to the belief that if you keep at it, maybe there will be actually some impact.
0: Despite the collective efforts of people and the legal pathways available to them, the movement in Kaliswaram did not yield the expected results. And this is precisely what makes sustaining a movement an uphill task. The fact that victory is not guaranteed. Let's look at the RA protests in Mumbai, for instance. They emerged in 2014 to prevent the felling of numerous trees in the RA colony for a metro car shed construction by the Mumbai Metro Rail Corporation. And while the Save RA movement is largely considered to be a success, it too has had its shares of setbacks along the way. For instance, in October 2019, the High Court dismissed four petitions that contested the felling of trees in the colony for the car shed. Shortly after the court's decision, bulldozers were deployed and several protesters, including students who were vehemently opposing the order, were arrested. Stalin Dayanand, who we spoke to in the context of RA, has also been arrested on more than one occasion. He heads a non-profit called Vana Shakti, which has played a key role in this movement.
2: this has been a roller coaster ride as far as emotions go yeah it has been a very tough one me and a lot of people who have been fighting this from the beginning there were so many ups and downs but somehow we managed to pick ourselves up and kept fighting on if you see on the night uh, when the trees were being cut we almost broke down we said we put in eight years of fight and uh, it's all going in vain but, you know, there were uh, law students from Noida who went to the Chief Justice's house in the night and said, what's going on is absolutely preposterous and it needs to be stopped. The Supreme Court sat uh, on hearing this matter and environment matter on a dasara. That again is a unique thing. And it issued a stay order on cutting of trees, which continues even today. The celebration moment came when the 800 acres were uh, declared as forest and also the dropping of cases against the 29 arrested people which came of course after two years of follow but uh, all's well that ends well those students those people who went to jail they at least had cases dropped against them especially when it's for a just public cause so there are ups and downs in the, you know what happens in a moment There are a lot of people there will be friction there will be difference of views etc but all sudden when the moment comes when the time comes everyone is standing together that's the beauty also it's a selfless moment we will have uh, what do you call the bad examples here and there, but 90% of the environment, movement, I would say, is a success story. It's a success of people who had clean hearts who came together and fought it out. It's a great achievement.
0: Movements can be tricky business. Like both Mridula and Stalin stated, there is no such thing as an absolute victory, because success can come in many forms and across different timelines. And along the way, there are often many losses. Still, there is both a symbolic and very real power to climate protests. And given the long haul, activists across time have had to use various tools and resources to achieve the goals of the movement. Increasingly, social media has become one of those tools that activists, especially young activists, leverage really well to raise awareness and galvanize support. When Fridays for Future India gathered support to protest against the change in the environmental impact assessment in 2020, they relied heavily on social media to get the word out. And it made all the difference. Here's Disha Ravi, founder of the India chapter of Fridays for Future, on how it all came together. This was right in the middle of
3: lockdown. We couldn't do anything physically. And this was new to us. We were not good at social media before that. We had to adjust to become good at social media because that was the only option, or so we thought. And we had to use social media very creatively, and we did. And not just Fridays of Future. It was a coalition of environmental movements around the India. And for me personally, it was one of our best campaigns because it. It was fought on all sides, social media, some on-ground actions that were done individually, and it was also done legally where uh, lawyers actually took it up. And there were loopholes that they hadn't seen through, like they hadn't converted it into different languages, like they're supposed to. They didn't give enough time for the actual objection to be sent, and they did pick on all these objections, and it was paused, and it is still paused, although they are making some of the amendments as single notices and passing it through the back door. But back then, it was huge. I believe just in one night, 2 lakh people came to our website and sent emails to object that, and that's huge. And by the end of it, almost 20 lakh people had objected to it, not just from FF, like I said, from like the environmental coalition. And this was because we all collectively stood and explain to the public why this is bad. Because all of this was in legal language. It was hard for us also to understand. We had to get researchers, legal experts on board to explain it to us in layman terms why this is bad. And we did the same on social media. And it brought 20 lakh people around. And I can't even imagine 20 lakh people in person. That'd be huge. That'd be amazing. But yeah, it was one of the best campaigns we've ever done And it only happened because all of us came together. And one thing social media taught us is that there's not one form of activism. It's not just work on ground. It can also be writing articles. It can be posting content or creating content on social media. It can be organizing collective social media action like Twitter storms or things like that. I think one of the big misconceptions is that online activism even the social media storms, don't take effort or time. But the truth is, they do take effort and time. And while interpersonal relationships are built better when you meet the person in real life, online still makes a huge impact. And yes, all actions that we take may not necessarily be ideal or lead to positive results. Let's say for a Twitter storm, it may not necessarily have the impact that you want to do, but it still brings people
0: together. Disha's views are echoed by her contemporaries. Derek from our team had a chance to catch up with some climate protesters at the march in Mumbai, and everyone he spoke with insisted that social media provides an important channel for any kind of activism, and that it is strengthened when married with offline strategies. Here's what Vinita Rodriguez, an environmentalist working in the social sector, and Yash Agarwal, a professor of philosophy, logic, and critical thinking, had to say.
1: I think right now, since we are living in an age of social media and all of that, it's very easy to be present virtually, mm-hmm. but it's also important for us to be present physically, mm-hmm. because I think that's when, say, when it comes to the politicians or when it comes to anybody
0: in positions of power, they know that they are accountable. Mm-hmm.
1: Protests are an important part, along with other things like social media that bring about a change. Mm.
0: Environmental protests are new to India. There's the Chipko Movement of 1973, where a group of peasants in a remote Himalayan village stopped loggers from felling a patch of trees. There's also the Narmada Bachawan Dolan, or Save the Narmada Movement, that originated in the 1980s as a protest against the building of dams on the Narmada River. Time and again, people have come together and collectivized for their rights. That is a safe and healthy environment.
2: In the case of IRM, whether it was online or offline, citizens responded in full measure. The uniqueness of the moment is that people from all walks of life came together. When the moment started, it was started by a group of uh, homemakers or uh, the women basically. I would not all of them were homemakers, some of them were working women also, who came out on the ground and said, for us, we need these for our children. And they are the ones who started this battle. and uh, from that, it went on from strength to strength. Initially, it was defamed as being an English-speaking people's movement. But gradually, it really engulfed all of society. You would find the tribals, the locals, the laborers, the rickshaw guys, even the tabawalas, the tiffin carriers, and the different doctors, engineers, film actors, everyone. Everyone was standing shoulder to shoulder. People came in with their families to protest on the ground.
0: It's clear that roping in people from different backgrounds and having a multifaceted approach increases the chance of success of a public movement.
2: If you see in the history of Mumbai, never has a public hearing for change of land use. You're talking of change of land use. When a land is taken away from no development to something else, you will find 50, 100 people sort of giving some objections. That too, if it is a society which is having a lot of members around it and all that. But if you see, four and a half thousand people went to the town planning office and that office has never seen four and a half thousand people in the entire existence. But, you know, people went there in person and told those people, don't do this, don't destroy this place. There were 80,000 signatures which were sent in the first lot. The number went up to three and a half lakhs when it got more organized. And by organized, I mean there were NGOs which came forward and said that we will collect the signatures and we'll collate it and send it. This shows the volume or the intensity of the fight or the number of people who joined the fight. So you can't orchestrate these things. It is the willingness of civil society to face off with the establishment and take charges, police cases against them, which makes a difference. If You see, when the night. The fateful night when those 400 trees were cut up, it was being cut for the reason that there were two days of Saturday and Sunday in between because uh, the Supreme Court unfortunately uh, does not work complete on full strength on those days. And the government at that time knew very well that the citizens would get a stay order from the Supreme Court. And to prevent people from going to the Supreme Court or getting any kind of relief, the attempt was made at night to cut those trees. And who went in? Who broke in those barricades? People stormed the site. You know, this is something which you don't see in Mumbai. And people stopped the cutting on that night. So, and 29 people, which included college students, women, teenagers, got arrested and went to prison. So, the courage shown by these people that drives the movement. It is an inspiring movement. So, people said, no matter what happens we will go down in history as people who were there to stop something which was wrong and prevented it from happening.
0: So what else matters when it comes to having the authorities acknowledge and listen to people's demands? Courage, of course. People coming together, of course. Are there strategies that movements apply that serve the cause? Mridula tells us more. The first step always needs to be to try and engage
1: peacefully and write to authorities, I believe very strongly in engaging just in facts. So you give them the facts on a platter, simplify it to the best extent possible. And I think there are instances when such representations are taken into consideration, especially by committees that recommend or do not recommend projects for clearances, etc. Apart from this, I think, you know, there is strength in numbers. And so to rally the crowds and to have more people engage and to communicate clearly clearly, In a similar vein, I think is very important. Other than this, I think if one wants to take legal action, of course, you need the help of legal advisors and lawyers. On a side note, I think legal awareness, you know, is a piece that we need to work on someone because it gives legitimacy to whatever you're asking for the minute that you place this demand within the boundaries of the law. And so, you know, legal literacy. And knowing how to engage in a dignified mm-hmm. manner and having very clear demands, I think are important. Now to simply say, you know, climate change is at our doorstep, we're doing nothing about it. You need to like get your act together, what are you doing? It may not be as effective as saying, hey, we don't have climate legislation and we don't have clarity on how we will adapt to climate change. And it's already at our door. So how are we going to do this? is a completely different tone to take. Think of it as a negotiation. When you go in for a negotiation, you clearly have in mind, it's a sliding scale of this is the best case scenario. And then, you know, what may be acceptable to you? And basically, you need to have clarity on what it is that you want. Let's take the example of Dibam, where, you know, we had peaceful protests happening. That was one, you know, we have to take a multi-pronged approach if you want environmental action. And so protests were one critical piece of the puzzle. There was also, you know, a bunch of scientists that came together and studied the area to describe and quantify the damage that this project would have on the environment. And that, uh, I think, had a huge impact on the way that the FAC, the Forest Advisory Committee, perceived this application for clearance. So as part of the forest clearance process, the application goes through, there's a very clear process laid out uh, under the Forest Conservation Act. And it is the Forest Advisory Committee that recommends or does not recommend an application for grant of forest clearance. Subsequently, it's the state government that grants the final clearance. But the FEC's recommendations are a key piece because it is also the FEC that prescribes mitigation measures to minimize the environmental impacts of The project in that area or on that forest. You'll often hear of elephants getting bored down or tigers getting bored down on railway tracks that pass through forests. And it is the FAC that prescribes a condition to the railways that says, you need to move at 20 kilometers an hour when you're passing through this forest land. So their mitigation measures are an important piece in ensuring that we are truly developing sustainably. And so I think looping in environmental lawyers, and experts from different walks of life. You could be an illustrator and have a lot to contribute to a protest. You could be a software engineer. You could be a web developer and have a lot to contribute. So I think taking advantage of your advantages and your strengths, I think is a critical piece to leveraging the law and and to how you, you eventually get to achieve what you set out to achieve.
0: Social movements are an integral part of India's democratic fabric. They give us a space and a platform to exercise our rights as citizens, while holding those in power accountable. But it's also important to acknowledge that it's a long race to the end line, one filled with numerous obstacles. Protests are an important
1: piece, but I don't think protests by themselves can influence policy. We also have to remember that policy in an ideal world should be driven by science. But I don't believe that that's how it works. I think there's so many other factors that influence it. And despite being a democracy, we are a state in which power is divested in a handful. And that makes it all the more important for you and I to voice our opinions about these larger projects.
3: Social change isn't going to come out of one small social campaign or one protest that you have. It is going to be collective action from all sides and for a long period. It's going to be a lot of protests, it's going to be a lot of social media campaigns, it's going to be a lot of art, a lot of articles and news by journalists, and a lot of music, and a lot of different forms of activism coming together for a prolonged period of time that is going to bring about change. It's not going to be one thing, It's not going to be in a short span of time. And I think the sooner we realize that and we start working in areas that are our strengths, the sooner we'll be able to, you know, bring about social change. Mm -hmm. And another thing that's super important is understanding that no actions are perfect. No activism is perfect. And demanding perfectionism from activism is going to be the death of us because every single time, People are worried about saying the right things and doing the right things. And in this age of social media, it feels like no one can be right because you get criticized every single time. And that can be daunting. And to me, the biggest takeaway that I have had is the environmental and climate movement is really vast. And all of us are going to have a lot of actions, a lot of plans and ideas and different forms of activism that we may not necessarily agree with or even see as activism, but it is necessary for the movement to continue and to achieve justice. And I think as a larger movement, we need to give that space to grow and make mistakes because that's what movements are supposed to do. They're supposed to hold you while also holding you accountable.
0: This episode of On the Contrary by IDR is produced by Rachita Vora, Smarinita Shati, and me, Shreya Adhikari, with additional support from Derek Xavier. Production by Made in India. If you like our show, please subscribe and leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts from, so more people can find out about us. You can also email us on, write to us at idronline.org, or find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or LinkedIn.